a little bit. And I don't know if you have in your Bible, uh, I have a new King James, and it, it, it does, it, it, it's, it uh, separates some of the passages into somewhat like a paragraph, and what uh, this particular Bible did is it, it lumps verse 24 of First uh, John 3 uh, with First John 4 verses 1 through, um, basically 1 through uh, 3. Although we're going to look at First John chapter four verses one through six, because I think, I think this is a, a nice unit to look at. Also, if if you've been reading ahead, um, you might have picked up that that John is being a little bit repetitive, and he is being repetitive, and 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 I. So he he's repetitive because he wanted to make it more difficult on on pastors who are teaching through. The book of First John, while they, you know, to try to get a little bit more creative, I guess. Um, actually, that's not the case. In the Bible, uh, often it is the case, and this is my perspective on this, is that when, when the Bible repeats certain things, that, that it's repeated because of the sake of emphasis. And, and in other words, it's, it's a, a way of saying this is very important, and it's so important that I am going to mention it to you again um, because that there's some underlying truths that we need to kind of keep in front of us. But I also, as I thought about this, um, I, I see the, the truths of God's word um, like a diamond. And, and there are many facets to, the, to a diamond. And you can look at the diamond from very different perspectives, you know, at, turn the stone in different ways to catch a different light. And, and in other words, there's a whole lot more depth to what we're going to look at this morning possibly than what meets the eye on the surface. And in particular because John has already spoken about this in chapter 2. So let's take a look at this. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Now he who ab- keeps his commandments abides in him, and he, that is uh, the Lord, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, we, we, we actually talked uh, quite a bit about the Spirit on, on Wednesday night. Um, I don't normally put the Wednesday night messages up on the website, but if you weren't here, uh, I can probably email that to you. Um, so just let me know uh, about that. But we, we, we just kind of did a general teaching on the, on the Spirit in the context of, of Ephesians um, chapter 5. I didn't go a full-blown uh, study uh, on the Holy Spirit because that would take, I believe, weeks and weeks. I think it would be a fruitful study, but it would take quite a long time to really cover that, I think, adequately. But what we have here is, is that uh, he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And, of course, the Holy Spirit has given us, and the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, among other things. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. Um, he's the one who dwells inside of us. And as I did mention on Wednesday night, I believe the Holy Spirit is the primary person in the Trinity um, that deals with humanity today. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who convicts us of sin. Um, and, and when I say that, I know that some of you might 
want to push back, back on that a little bit because of maybe some weird experiences uh, in different churches when they were claiming that they were experiencing the Holy Spirit. And, and while, while you can never put God in a box, I don't think that the move of the Holy Spirit is a move in such a way that it causes everything to get really weird. Uh, and the Bible does say to let everything be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. Let everything be done. So there's, there's a sense of a balance there that we have to, to look at as well. And, and I believe all of the gifts that are listed in the New Testament, I believe all of them are, are for today. I think they all are operational. I don't think all of them are particularly normative. And of course, as I like to say, sometime in my message, your mileage may vary on that one. Um, and so, but I think, I think decently, decency, decently and in order, but let all things be done um, within, within the realm of the fellowship of the church. And, and so uh, he has given us his spirit. He abides in us, this idea of being connected to, this idea of dwelling in. So it refers to this idea of, of, of home. <coughs> Thank you. After so many days of breathing smoke, my lungs are starting to finally clear out. But and no, I don't have COVID. Okay, um, um, I can put a mask on if someone, if you would like. Uh, I will afterwards. But anyway, um, so uh, but the Holy Spirit uh, dwells in us, uh, and He, we, because of that, we are the temple. According to the New Testament, what Paul has talked about, First Corinthians chapter six. Uh, and he speaks about it in other passages as well, that we are the temple of, of, of the Holy Spirit, that the living God dwells inside of us. So there's this connection. So all those things that maybe you might be tempted to do from time to time, guess who's there along with you? The Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity. So from that, we launch into... Um, chapter 4, where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Boy, I probably want to return to that one next week. But anyway, let me keep going. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would fill us, that we might have ears to hear that which you would have to say to each of us in this passage. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So, 
what you have here is this testing of spirits. Now, it's the word spirit is the word pneuma in the Greek. It's also the same word that is trans, that can be translated as the Holy Spirit. Notice that uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, at least I believe in all your versions, it has a lowercase s. And so this idea of testing uh, the spirits, it could refer to the spirit of a person, Right? which I believe is part of the soul. I know some of you believe that the soul and the spirit are separate, and that's fine if that's what you want to believe. Um, But it could refer to the spirit of a person. It could also refer to the spirit of the age. You ever heard that term? Or the spirit or attitude or the mindset of a particular school of thought. It could also refer to demonic spirits here. Um, It's not entirely clear. However, I think there's a reason for that because we are dealing in the supernatural realm. And if we have, back to verse 24, chapter 3, if we have the Spirit who has been given to us, if he is abiding in us, then we need his help to give us the ability to discern the spirits that we encounter the spirit of the age, the spirit of another person, even uh, uh, supernatural spirits, which I would refer to as demons, which I don't want to go down. That, that, that could be a rabbit trail and, 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 uh, and a half this morning if I, if I decide to go down that, and I, I don't want to go down that this morning. But, but we're told to test. We're told to, to pay attention. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. When did John write this letter? Late first century, probably in the 90s. Not, 2000, not 1990, by the way. You understand. Okay, probably in the 90s. So he is telling the church already that false prophets, many false prophets have gone out into the world. So in other words, there's a lot of falsehood out there. Now, we've gone almost 2,000 years since John wrote this. And so I I tend to think that, that, that falsehood, false doctrines, false ideas, false Christ, right, antichrist, that they have, they have just uh, multiplied. And, and so even, even John says this in verse, down to verse 6 of chapter 4. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. And he who know, uh, is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we have the spirit of truth that we have to test, which would be something that would be given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we have the spirit of error that is of one of those different spirits that I mentioned. Again, in the context of this letter, John wrote this because he is addressing heresy. He is addressing heresy because they were people who were teaching and preaching another Jesus. And in this particular circumstance, what John is specifically addressing here in chapter 4 is a doctrine, a false doctrine by false prophets and antichrists that were saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Now, why is that a big deal? 
Now today, I'll get answer that question in a moment. Today, the, the argument isn't so much that Jesus came in the flesh. The argument today is whether Jesus is divine. Then, they saw Jesus as this kind of spirit figure, possibly even divine. And, and, and some of this thinking goes into the Hellenistic, Hellenistic influence of the Jewish culture. Because they, they, if you know much about Greek mythology, they had all kinds of gods, right? And they had all kinds of even these little minor gods, right, that they called daemons. Um, and so um, it, it gets really convoluted, and I don't want to stray away too far from the text, so I'm not going to go down that road this morning either. But, but uh, then the problem or the question about Jesus was not the fact that he was some kind of spirit being, but it, whether he was actually here in the flesh. And that was the conflict of that time. Why is that important? Again, is because of the doctrine of what is called the incarnation. I like that word, so I'm going to keep using it. Now, I know it's a $500, well, maybe $250, right? Maybe not quite a $500 word, all right? Maybe $250. But the incarnation, which refers to God who comes in the flesh. God who comes in the flesh. Not some kind of a minor God, not some angelic being as some groups believe, but God who comes in the flesh. Back then, they, they, they're, they're developed really, John was already addressing the, this movement that kind of infected the church that really gathered uh, 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 more steam toward the latter part of the second century. It's called Gnosticism, um, although it was starting to rear its head. Actually, Gnosticism has its uh, origins not in Christianity, but it has its origins in Greek philosophical thought. That's where it really came out of. Again, the Hellenistic influence, once again, upon uh, not only the Jewish culture, but upon the early church. And it, they, had, they even went so far later on to claim that Jesus was not really a physical uh, human being, but he was uh, a phantom, right? And so they, they would come up with these, these silly ideas that when he walked on the seashore of the Galilee, that he didn't leave footprints and all this other nonsense, but what happens, again, if you mess with the person of Jesus Christ, if you distort who Jesus is, and now granted, the idea of Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, I can only wrap my head around so much. All right? And I understand that. But I also know, I also know that the Bible declares that. So whether I fully understand it or not makes no difference. I am not called always to understand. I'm called to believe. I'm called to apprehend by faith. And I love one of the smartest men that I think that... that Again, I didn't agree with everything he had to say, but one of the smartest men I think that God gave the early church was Augustine. And Augustine said, 
I believe in order that I might understand, not the other way around. We see a lot of that type of what's called apologetic ministry. You guys have heard of apologetic ministries. Apologetic ministry is not telling everybody you're sorry for the faith. It is from the Greek word apologia, which means defending the faith. And often it is, and I've seen it in my mind, and I, that, that would be my one. I like apologetics, by the way, but one of my critiques of it is that we try to address the idea of reason, and, and often it is, is that we have to initially enter into these things by faith and not try to figure them out. And then as we apprehend them by faith and realize, okay, this is what God has declared, and I'm going to trust that it is true. Now that I'm trusting that it is true, now teach me your ways, O Lord. And now show me these things and give me the opportunity and the instruction by your Holy Spirit, testing the spirits again, right? And instruct me in your ways. I often wonder at times when we get to heaven what we are going to do and how much are we going to have revealed of our ideas about God and our doctrines that really were not quite there. They really weren't correct. And, and again, the Bible repeating itself, particularly in a letter. Now remember they wrote this thing too. I didn't mention this, but they wrote this thing on a scroll. So those, and then later on parchments, but at first it was on a scroll. So to be able to write a letter cost you a fair amount of money. So real estate on the scroll, the actual physical room on the scroll was important. You, and if you only had so much room to write out this letter, you had to be very uh, particular and choosy about what it was that you were going to address. John is repeating himself. Therefore, it must be very important. By this, you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. I would say conversely on that today, by this you would know that the spirit um, of the spirit of God, every, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has not only come in the flesh, but that Jesus is also God, is of God. Again, the attack on the person of, the, of Jesus Christ today is not necessarily upon his humanity, but it is upon his divinity. Um, so, so that's the test. I mean, John, John it, uh, there used to be a guy, he was, I loved playing with this guy. He was a professional musician, actually. He played on cruise ships. He was a bass player in, when we were in Tahoe. And uh, you know how some of those musicians, they just never get past the cool factor? Sorry, Mike, I love you anyway, but I'm talking about you. But anyway, you know, they never get past the cool factor, so they're always talking really hip and cool and all this. And, and uh, he always used to say, yeah, man, you've got to be able to throw down on this. All right? That was his phrase, right? And, and so I used, I used to mimic him um uh, i don't do that much anymore you guys are probably grateful for that but anyway uh but i used to mimic him and uh but right here john is throwing down he's throwing down here every spirit that does not confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Notice it is a capital A. 
referring to that final Antichrist, but he's saying the spirit of that final Antichrist is already in the world, which has been in the world for over 1,900 years. So here you have very, very, very early in the church, guys, this understanding. Now, follow me real quick where I'm going, but I don't want to make a big point on this. But you have this understanding here where the early church really understood the concept of the kingdom of God that is moving forward, but it is not yet here in its fullness. They understood that they were the opposing forces to the kingdom of God in the spirit of the capital A Antichrist that has been in the world for this entire time. Now, there are some people who take this verse and they do some kind of weird things with it, in my opinion. But nonetheless, I think it's important to realize that that spirit, that attitude, that worldview, follow me on this? So I'm, I'm, don't, when you think spirit, don't think Casper the Friendly Ghost, all right? Don't, don't. It's much, much, much broader than that. That worldview of the Antichrist is already in the world. And what do they want to do? The Antichrist, what does anti mean? Oppose? Yes. But you know what it also means, in, uh, particularly in, in, in the Greek, it means instead of. Instead of. I actually like that one better. Okay, but I'm not going to start calling the Antichrist the instead of Christ. You know, or, you know, it, it, but I think it's important to recognize that that is part uh, of the mission of the Antichrist is to give us a false understanding of who Jesus is. And so what you have here is that, that the, the, the test is what do you believe about Jesus? And it's important that we recognize his divinity it's important that we recognize his humanity and, and to not deny, again, the incarnation and, and that where, where Christ um, did not thought it was equal, did not thought it was robbery, Philippians 2, to be equal with God, but he did what? He emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. So what you have here is this, this doctrine about Jesus that were, was taught by the disciples that has gone forth from, now there's been variations of it and attempts to distort it, but, but this, this, this doctrine about who Jesus is, the incarnation that you have in one person that is both human and divine. Jesus lives in a hum, lived in a human body, and yet he did so without sin. Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen. I have it here in front of me. For we do not have a high priest that's referring to Jesus, um, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We see the fact that he resisted temptation. Perfectly, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus in the desert by Satan, uh, which reveals both his full deity and his full humanity. Because what was the temp one of the temptations that Satan used against Jesus? If you are, what, the Son of God, which is a reference to deity, folks. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Why did Satan tempt Jesus with that temptation? 
You know this. Because he was hungry. He hadn't ate in 40 days. So he is appealing to that. And I don't know what it's like. To, I've never fasted for 40 days. So, you know, I know some people, I don't think they've fasted for 40 minutes. I mean, you know. I'm sorry. Uh, even 40 hours is a push. 40 days. He must have been just incredibly hungry. Of course, at 40 days, doctors tell us, you would, you would, all right, he's either going to correct me later or affirm me later, all right? But at 40 days, you're starting to, you're at the point of, of total starvation where you're about to start to death. Uh, at least that's what I've read, all right? Your mileage may vary, okay? <laughs> I'm not getting affirmed here, so I guess I'm all right. Uh, but what you have here with Jesus, can I get a little theological with you this morning? A little bit, not a lot, all right? you have what is called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic, H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-T-A-C, if you want to write it down. Hypostatic, which is a, is a, a play off of a Greek word which refers to the fact that Jesus had two natures. Um, excuse me, Jesus has. I use past tense, present tense, actually. He has two natures, one human and one divine. And they cannot be separated. They're not always co- not really commingled either. Um, but but what you have here is that Jesus is both fully human and he's fully God. Um, he has two distinct natures. Like I said, they can't be commingled either. Two distinct natures in one being, one personality, one entity. How does that work? I don't know, but I believe in order that I might understand. I do know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John chapter 1, verse 1. I do know that the word, John chapter 1, verse 18, that the word became flesh, sarks, humanity, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. I do know that. I do know that in several passages that we see in the Gospels that Jesus claimed to be God and they loved it so much, what did they want to do? They wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw rocks at him. They wanted to execute him because they wanted to accuse him of blasphemy. But we have within Jesus uh, uh, two natures and the divine, and this is where it gets really tricky, but if you really read through this in the, in the Gospels, the divine nature of Jesus is not diminished by his human nature. His divine nature is not diminished by his human nature, and his human nature does not lose its identity because of his divine nature. So you have this really difficult paradoxical tension in the person of Jesus where he is fully human and he is fully, uh, uh, fully God and, and, and they, they don't diminish each other and, and they don't, um, the, particularly the humanity does not lose its identity in, in, in the fact that Jesus is divine. 
I mean, we, we see the limits of, of, of Jesus' uh, humanity. We, we see it in, in several places of the Gospels. For instance, in John chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, 28. We won't take the time to turn there. But Jesus is on the cross. And what, what was one of the things that he said? I thirst. All right? He was thirsty. Um, with all he went through for in the suffering, of course he would be thirsty. He literally felt the pain of the crucifixion. He, he, he didn't abandon. There, there's even a view in the early church that he abandoned the body prior to the crucifixion. Which really, I think, is a very cheap view of the love of God. If you stop and think about it. Because when I think about the crucifixion and I think about the cross, it, to me, when I, when I realized what it was that Jesus went through for, to, to secure our salvation, to me, that's the only answer to all the sin and the suffering and the, the calamity and the, 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 the turmoil in the world is the fact that Jesus came personally, physically, and died for us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and so he, he worked, uh, uh, and he worked within the limits at times of his human nature. You know, he said he was thirsty, and he didn't get himself down from the cross really quick, somehow supernaturally grab a drink, and then didn't hop back up there. He was able to accept the limits of his humanity. He took on the form of a servant. Paul says in Philippians 2. But also at times he, was, he expressed the power of his divine nature. I love the, I love the story in Matthew 14 uh, verses 18 through 21 where, where he's out there with the multitudes and the, the apostles say to him, let's get rid of these people. There's, they're, they're, they're hungry. There's no place to, to, to feed them. There's not a McDonald's around anywhere. We're out here in the wilderness. Send them away. And what, what did Jesus say? Remember the story? You give them something to eat. I thought that was interesting. He said, you give them something to eat. And, of course, the five loaves and the two fish show up. And, and I love this because what is the first thing that Jesus does with those five loaves and two fishes? Anybody? Before that, he blesses it. He asks the Father to bless them. So he's as, operating in his humanity, and then all of a sudden he breaks them. And he's operating in his deity. Because as he breaks, there's more and more and there's more. And the, isn't that interesting, though? As he breaks, there's more and more and more and more. Try to apply that to your own personal spiritual walk. And I wish there was another way to do it. But often it is, is that, that, that we, we have more of a fullness in Christ after the blessing of brokenness than we do when we have the blessing of plenty. So you have in Jesus this union, two natures, fully human, fully divine. And, and then... John goes on to say in verse 4, you are of God, little children, and you've overcome them. That is, you've overcome the Antichrist because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you, who is he speaking of? Holy Spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is greater than the spirit of Antichrist. Part of the ministry, we don't, I think we, we miss this at times, but part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be that power, which particularly my Pentecostal friends are all over the power, right? To be that power, but it's a power to overcome the forces of darkness. It is a all things done in decency and in order form of power that overcomes the force of darkness of the, of the spirit of Antichrist. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I, I remember a friend of mine one time, I, I think I've shared this before, but it's been years. A friend of mine was going through just a difficult time and, and, uh, and he was really angry. He was angry with the situation. He was angry. He was angry with God. You ever been, don't raise your hand. You ever been angry at God? Yeah, probably, you probably have. All right? I think if you're human, you've been angry at God. And, I, and he said, he said, I was so angry with God. I said, I, he, and then there was nobody else. He lived with another, they had a roommate. So there, nobody else was there, right? So I went into my bedroom and said, you're going to be my God, and you're going to tell me what to do, and you're going to protect me. And they just, that was how he prayed. And um, because he recognized that he who was in him was greater than he who was in the world. Now, it didn't feel like it at the moment. So maybe sometimes you need to go out in the backyard garage, right, and say, you're going to be my God, you know, and, and do whatever it is that you need to do, but to claim this. I'm not so sure that there is a power in claiming this. I'm not saying name it, claim it, okay? What I am saying is that because this is true, I'm going to believe and later trust that I might understand the current situation that I'm going through. Because if God said it, is it true? Is it? Okay, it's true. So, you know, and I remember particularly as a kid, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I remember as a kid, you know, every once in a while you would get, you would, you would get to a climax situation and you're so wrapped up in the TV show that you're, you don't even pay attention to the time and all of a sudden they show that final scene and it's like, is, is, he, is, the, is the hero or the heroine going to win out or not win out? And then what happens? They flash and say, stay tuned to next week, right? I think why, what appeals, that appeals that appeal to us is because that how that is how a lot of life is. That is how a lot of life is. Because if the Lord has said to us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, then we got a bank on it. We got a bank on it. Particularly And it's probably at its highest and fullest and deepest meaning, particularly when it doesn't feel like it. 
Because when, it's, when everything's, going, everything's going well, it's easy to apprehend these kind of promises, isn't it? But when things become very difficult, when things become very troublesome, that's when we have to really dig down and say, Lord, you've said it. It doesn't feel like it, but I'm going to trust in it. And to be like in the book of Habakkuk, that that while there, even though there is no, I'm just paraphrasing it, okay, so give me a, uh, give me some slack on this. While there be no fruit on the vine, while there be no animal in the stall, yet I will praise you, my God. And I look for a better day. And I look for the promise to be fulfilled. And so, with that, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as the world, and the world hears them. No kidding. They are of the world. They speak as the world. The world understands that language. And, of course, those who see, who's he talking about the they? Who is the they here? The they are the false teachers, right? The false prophets. These are the things that we have to be careful of. And I, I, we're almost out of time, so I'm not, I don't want to expand this greatly. Because there's also a, a view that Justin had that the things of the world, Justin the martyr, first century, second century, excuse me, he believed that some of the things of the world were like, were like the equivalent of when Israel took all the gold and silver and jewelry out of Egypt when they, when they experienced the exodus, that those things of the world are also there for our, our use as well to be able to do what? To help us to understand and to know God better. To help us to be able to understand and know God better, I think that's that's where the limitation. I think it's a healthy limitation with that. But but the wor- the false prophets they get their message from the world. Therefore, the world hears them. Therefore, the world loves them. And it's the same way that is in 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 in, with, in the book of Jeremiah. You had all the false prophets who were doing what? What were the false prophets doing in, in to Jerusalem? What were they saying to Jerusalem during the time where Nebuchadnezzar is, is laying siege upon the city? Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, God's going to come through. See, they even got religious. And God is speaking to Jeremiah and saying, go tell them I didn't tell them that. Go tell them that they are false prophets. Go tell them to go into captivity. Are you out of your mind? Go into captivity? Leave the promised land? Leave the city of the, of the great king? Yes, because that was what God was leading them into at that time. The world hears them because they speak as the world, but we are of God, and he who knows God hears us, for he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Believe that you might understand. And I would add, second of all, hold yourself open to be Corrected by the Spirit of God. Hold yourself open to be corrected by the Spirit of God. 
Ensure that the spirit that you are hearing from is in fact God's spirit who will not contradict God's word. And I also believe he, the Holy Spirit, has established the doctrine of the, the, the historic Christian faith. So he will not contradict that. If it's new, it probably is not true. And if it is true, it's probably not new. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us the ability to hear your voice. Lord, help us to separate the wheat from the chaff, spirit of truth from the spirit of error. We thank you, Jesus, that you came in human form, in the flesh, as one of us. That you lived as one of us, that you died as one of us. And that because of that hope, you resurrected as those of you, those of us who have trusted in you will one day resurrect. So we recognize you, Lord, as the first fruits of the resurrection, of the human body resurrecting into newness of life. Continue, Lord, to help us to claim that greater is you, Holy Spirit, who is in us than who is in the world. We thank you for your greatness, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, your instruction, your protection. We pray, Lord, for a healing touch upon those in this congregation that need it. We pray just you would heal their bodies. We pray, Lord, that in that healing that you would continue to, to build them up in our most holy faith. We pray for those, Lord, that are struggling with difficult circumstances and situations today. We pray for a respite. We pray for an end to those things that are in their lives. We pray for their, their protection as well. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow, to be, continue to be changed, to, to continue to be more like you that we would walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.